All right, Romans chapter 8. Now, obviously, I had the wrong order this morning, because clearly Sunday school should have been the sermon, since it was more of a sermon than it was study. This should be more Sunday school, because this is going to be more study than sermon, but does it really matter? I mean, the bottom line is, we, we're here to study God's Word, whether it's in a quote-unquote sermon form or it's in a study form. That's all that really matters. So, uh, yeah, so people who turned into to Sunday school, you got the sermon. Now we'll do the study. Now, some of you will be like, well, I don't ever want to hear another sermon again because that was, no, that, you know, it was, it was an important study. So, here we go. Everybody ready? Now, what we're going to do, we, we have been studying six words, right? And I just realized Right when I got ready to put the title down, I should have never called it six words. I should have called it seven words. But I didn't think about it because what I typically do is take everything directly from the text. Correctly? Correct? Right? And so in the text, we have really six words. What are the six words found in Romans chapter 8 that we have been now looking at for a very long time? The first one is foreknow or foreknowledge. Second, predestination. And third, Called or calling, next. Justification or justified, next. Glorified, and then next. Elect or election. We completed election, I think, to the, to the, I think we completed it as well as we could have. Obviously, I mean, there's so many different directions you can go in. Let me just make sure. I've got to just stress this again because I continue to get emails and people People still don't, it's just so weird how this doctrine creates so much confusion and, and, and frustration and people get so upset. Let me make it very clear, all right? When we look at the doctrine of election, predestination, and foreknowledge, what are we looking at? We're looking at God's perspective, right? In a sense, we're walking into heaven, we're opening the door, and I know it's just an illustration, we're walking the, opening the door, and we're walking in, and we're like, oh, wow, this is completely a different perspective from how I saw everything from all of those years that I walked the earth, right? Well, ever, can everyone agree that our perspective will never be the exact perspective as God's perspective. Can we all agree that, forget, forget election, if you think that your perspective is absolutely the same as God's, can we acknowledge that you have some serious problems and you probably need to seek counseling, right? Because you obviously have a God complex if you think you're, you're, you're no. When we get to heaven, we're going to realize that our perspective was so flawed in so many different ways, Yes? So from an earthly perspective, let's make it very clear. From an earthly perspective, this is what happens. Someone presents the gospel. Someone believes, repents, follows, trusts Christ. They are saved. Right? That's the earthly perspective. Yes? Anyone who believes will be saved. The preaching goes to anyone and everyone. Right? And those who don't believe won't be saved. It's that simple, right? Everyone can agree with that. When we get to heaven, then it becomes a whole big complicated matter, yes? Now, some people want to leave the door of heaven closed. They don't ever want to go there. They don't want to look at it. And I can understand. But why are we forced to go up there and, in a sense, open the door? Because scripture reveals 
God's perspective on all of this. So then we're confronted with the idea of God's foreknowledge, of God predestining, uh, predestinating, and God electing. People get upset about it, but it's not my fault. I didn't write it. Whenever, whenever people get upset, it's like, what do you want me to do? Skip it? Act like it's not there? Spend, spend an entire hour in a sermon explaining it away? I can't explain it away when God says, I predestinated, I elected, I chose, then I have to go. If God predestinated, that means there's a predestination, yes? Who did he predestinate? Why did he predestinate? Well, it would make no sense that he predestinated something, predestinate, predestinate me based on something I do, because that would not be predestination, right? That would simply be foreknowledge. I like, I, now, well, actually, foreknowledge is God not doing anything. That's just him knowing something in advance. Once he predestinates, now he's involved in actually doing something. Well, he wouldn't have to do something if he's predestinating me based on something I, he already knew that I was going to do. There would be no need to predestinate me because he would like, well, I know he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Why would be the need for predestination? Right? And then definitely what would be, if, if God is doing the electing, you can't say that he elected me based off me electing him because then it would be God who would be called the elect and not me. Correct? Those are the issues. It makes everyone upset. I understand it, but we have to deal with it. Now, so we've looked at the six words and then I realized, wait a minute, there's a seventh word. Now, the seventh word doesn't appear necessarily in the text, but it is so related to this concept, we have to talk about it. And I gave you the word early on. Does anybody remember what the word was or is? Reprobation. There we go. The word reprobation. So go ahead and write it down. And we're going to have to deal with the doctrine of reprobation. The doctrine of reprobation. Now, I did not call this reprobation part one because I would prefer to be done with reprobation in one sermon. That's what I would prefer. And let me make it very clear. Okay, now I know we have people listening online. If there's a very high probability that you're about to get extremely upset, very angry, and very upset. So you may want to just go ahead and click off this now. Nobody's forcing you to listen. I'm glad that you're listening, but there's, I don't think anyone's going to be happy with this topic, but we have to deal with it, right? Like what's, that's, listen, this is, I cannot stress this enough. If we're going to be people who say that, it, that the Bible is God's word and it's the final authority, then we have to look at everything dealing it with God's word, no matter how unpleasant it can be, right? Yesterday, I had to deal with an unpleasant subject in one of the podcasts. I didn't want to deal with it, but I had to. We all know what happened with all the tornadoes that went through Kentucky. We got probably over 100 people dead. Absolutely devastating and horrible. So I had to deal with some issues pertaining to God's sovereignty and prayer that nobody wants to talk about. But I can't help it that all churches just throw out their little cliches and think that theology is reduced to a bumper sticker. I can't help that. It's not. The Bible is not reduced to a bumper sticker. It's not reduced to your little small group cliches that make everyone feel better. It's not a Disney movie. It's not a Hallmark movie. It's difficult concepts. And this is a difficult concept. I'm going to make it very clear. This is, this is not the Disney Channel Christianity. This is not Hallmark. This is something far more difficult 
and it's not going to be pleasant to anyone in this room. It's not, going to, it's not even going to be pleasant to me, and I'm the one who's got to talk about it. Right? So everybody ready for an, an hour of unpleasantness? Okay, I, you, I know what you're saying. That was the last hour because you, you got so... Okay, 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 that's okay. You can say that. I'll be, I'll be nicer here, okay? Because this one is very difficult. The other, the other subject that we dealt with in Sunday school is more just frustrating, and you can feel my frustration in dealing with this. This one, I'm not, as fru- I'm not frustrated when people don't get this because I understand that this is hard to wrap your mind around. So everybody ready? The doctrine of reprobation. We're going to be relying on Grudem here as much as we can. All right, here we go. When we understand election as God's sovereign choice of some persons to be saved, then there is necessarily another aspect of that choice. So everybody understands the logical argument here. If God chooses some to salvation, then there seems to be another part of that choice. What is that? If God chose some to, to save some, well, then there, we could argue that there's a choice not to save others. And that's where people get very, very, very upset. Okay? So, we have, to, we have to figure this out. Now, this is what Grudem is going to say here. Everybody ready? When we understand election as God's sovereign choice of some persons to be saved, then there is necessarily another aspect of that choice, namely, everybody ready? God's sovereign decision to pass over others and not save them. The decision of God in eternity past to not save some is called reprobation. Here's the definition. Everybody ready? Reprobation is the sovereign decision of God before creation to pass over some persons in sorrow, deciding not to save them and to punish them for their sins and thereby to manifest his justice. All right. Everybody ready? Let me read this to you again. Reprobation is the, what's the next, first key word? Sovereign decision of whom? Of God. Before creation... To pass over some persons in sorrow, deciding not to save them and to punish them for their sins and thereby to manifest his justice. Does anybody need me to repeat any of that? If anybody online needs me to repeat it, they can ask in the chat and Seth back there will let me know and I will repeat it, okay? All right? Now, does anybody like that? No. Right? What, what, what's your, what, let's be honest. What, remember, we don't do church answers here. Okay? What's your initial feeling when you hear that? What, what, what rises up in you as soon as you hear that? Okay, there we go. Very good. Let's just be honest. That's not fair! That's not right! But let's just step back. Everyone calm down. I'm, I can already hear people typing out an email right now. Take, take a step back from your computer, from your phone, just sit down, just give me a second here. All right. The feeling is, wait a minute, 
if God chooses to save this person and not this person, that seems very, 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 very unfair. Okay, let, let's, let's just stop and think about this. All right? Now, you know I always do this, and it makes everyone mad, but I have to do this. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, or before the beginning. It, before the beginning, who existed? God. All right. The God that exists, is he all-powerful? Is he all-knowing? All right. All-powerful and all-knowing. All-knowing means he knows everything is going to happen. All-powerful means he can intervene at any time and do whatever he pleases. So this all-knowing, all-powerful God creates a being called Satan. Does he know what that being is going to do? Does uh, Does he have the ability to stop that being from doing it? If that being does go ahead and do it, can he, does he have the ability to remove said being? Yes. All right. Satan rebels. Can he destroy uh, Satan at that point in time? Yes. He doesn't. What does he allow Satan to do? Come to earth. Does he have to let him allow, allow him to come to earth? No. All right. On earth, God has created two people named. Does he know what Adam and Eve are going to do? Could he stop Adam and Eve from doing it? Well, obviously, he didn't have to put a tree in the garden that they couldn't eat, right? He didn't have to put... And some people say, well, he had to put the tree there to test whether they loved him or not. He already knew the answer. So it's just ridiculous. Like, I've got to test these people to see if they love me. That's not an all-knowing God. Like, Christians' answers to these philosophical problems are embarrassing at, at best, okay? So, so he creates them. Now, here, now the story... Now, we're watching the story, and we already know what's going to happen, right? Like... Eve, don't talk to the snake. Don't do it. Now, but for me, instead of yelling at Eve, don't talk to the snake, you know how I read the text. God, why are you allowing this into the garden? Wait, why did you even bother creating the woman who's going to cause all of the problems? Or the, or the snake, or any of the situation. Okay, now once it happens, you're like, okay, look, clearly this entire experiment failed. Get rid of Satan, get rid of Eve, get rid of Adam, start over, or here's a, here's a good idea, just don't create anything. You don't need anything. You're God. You're perfect, right? You have perfect uh, relationship in the Trinity, right? You don't need anything. So just, just forget it. Just forget it. We don't need a world. We don't need people. We don't need trees. We don't need bugs. We don't need anything. But does he do that? Now, the minute he does that, let me ask a question. Does he know that people from that point forward are going to be born sinners? Does he know that people are going to go to hell? I want to make sure everyone understands. Your issue is not the doctrine of election. Your issue, issue is not the doctrine of reprobation. Your issue should be Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 should cause your brain to melt every time you read it. And we treat it like, isn't this a cute little story? There's nothing cute about the story because I don't understand why. Uh, once Adam and Eve sin, I want the story to stop. And people say, well, if the story stopped, you wouldn't exist. 
and I wouldn't care because I wouldn't exist. Right? So that's a, such a ridiculous argument. Well, you wouldn't exist. Who cares? Okay? Who cares? Because what, what do, I, do I want to exist over the fact that millions and millions of people are going to die and spend an eternity separated from God? If you want to exist more than stopping that, you've got some serious issues. So, we know how the story... And look, even if, way before we come along, just between Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 you see the outworking of all the problem, right? Because by the time we get to Genesis 6, how bad is everything? He destroys it all, kills everyone. Do, do, there, do, do they get a chance to, uh, to state what their will is? Okay. Yeah, yeah, right, but I'm just saying that God doesn't say, well, would you, hey, would you like me to kill you? No, I don't want to die. Does God care? No, he imposes his will on it. I want to make it very clear. The flood is God imposing his will. And I guarantee you, when the water starts rising above the knee, waist, getting, I guarantee you there was a lot of people who would say, this isn't my will. Then God doesn't go, oh, you know what? I can't violate your will. No, they drowned. Horrible story. Once again, and we turn even that into the churches. Oh, oh, it's you know, Mr. and Mrs. Noah standing on the, on the deck of the ship with the giraffe smell, uh, you know, smiling in the background with a rainbow above it. Give me a break. That story is horrific. That's a horrible story. There's people dead everywhere. But that could have fixed it all, right? He could have just wiped out everybody. Including Noah. But he keeps Noah, and you're like, well, see, that's God's mercy and grace. Is it? Because he knows Noah's going to get off the boat, get drunk, get nude, and then there's problems arises from there, right? And what, what because what is Noah bringing? You, you hear, you know, we think of the COVID, uh, you know, the, the COVID-19 virus. Noah's bringing a virus on the boat. He's bringing a virus. He's infected. They, they, someone needed to see his vaccine passport. Okay? Because he gets off the boat, right? Because there is no vaccine against his problem, right? It's called sin. There was, there was a vaccine for the problem. It's called the flood, okay? It could have wiped everyone out, right? But it didn't. He, and what does he bring onto the earth? Sin. Because the sin nature wasn't eradicated. Did God know this? So he allows it to happen. And what's the result of that sin virus getting off the ark? Sin everywhere. And guess what sin has continued to do? And because sin spreads, does God know the result of sin? It tells us the wages of sin. So you see the story, the problem with the story starts way back there. It just blows my mind. People are like, wait, wait, election. No, no. I'm like, why do you have a no problem with Genesis? Shouldn't your problem started in Genesis? It's like, I don't know. Am I reading a different book? Because I'm sitting there going, wait, God, you, wait, 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 God, God, no, no, God, please don't, don't, no, God, stop. And how many times do you have to destroy things, right? You got the flood. You got Sodom and Gomorrah. Over and over and over, there's death and destruction, death and destruction that God brings as a judgment upon what? Sin. 
And guess what? That judgment has to continue. So even if you say, well, you see what? God just wanted everyone to have a free will. Then, you, then, this, is what, then this is what you have to teach. God valued your free will more than he valued people not spending an eternity in hell. Now, for some people, that makes them feel better. I'm so glad God protected free will. I mean, what would we do if we didn't have free will? Everybody would be in heaven. I mean, we can't have that. <laughs> we can't have that. And then, but then they say, but God wants everyone to be saved. Well, if he wants everyone to be saved, why would he give them the very thing that keeps them from being saved? So clearly, he values your free will more than he values your salvation. So you can't say God desires everyone to be saved because if he desires everyone to be saved, well, then he could have... You're saying God desires something that he couldn't bring about? You see all the issues with this? So I just want you to realize, there, there are philosophical questions on every page. And what blows my mind, you talk to Christians and they're like, I don't see a problem. And you talk to lost people and they're like, are you people dumb? Now, Christians shouldn't be in darkness and lost people have more understanding than saved people. It's, I think something happens when we pick up a Bible and start reading it. It's like all of a sudden, all reading comprehension goes out of, the, I don't know what happens. Like, it, it's, it's, here's the requirement. To be a Christian, you have to score a zero on reading comprehension. Because people who have high reading comprehension skills probably are going to be atheists. That shouldn't be the way it works. But let's be honest, are there not a million problems here? Now, I know when I say this, I'm going to have people listening going, how dare he say that from the pulpit? How dare he? Well, why should we not be honest with this? So I want to make it, you're probably asking, why are you, you should understand. Why am I putting forth all of this before we even look at reprobation? Why am I doing that? Why am I pointing out all of these other problems before I look at reprobation? To establish that the issues start way before Romans 8 and you ever hear the word elect or you ever hear the word Calvin or you ever hear the word reformed theology before you ever hear of any of that. The issues start in Genesis. I have an all-knowing, powerful God creating a world knowing that more people in that world are going to die and go to hell than are going to heaven. Why would he do that? Because the way to eternal life is... And few. The way to destruction. Now, some people read that. I read that and I'm horrified by that. I'm horrified because that, that's human beings on that road to the destruction. That, that's not a pleasant thing to consider, right? See, it doesn't bother us until, here's what we do. Oh, Man, praise God, you know, it's, that's wonderful. And then as soon as it possibly someone we're related to who could be on that broad road to destruction, we're like, no, 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 no. Uncle Bob may be a drunk, may be an alcoholic, may have claimed to be an atheist, but I know, I mean, I think I saw a Bible in his bedroom one day. Clearly he's in heaven because nobody goes to hell when you go to a funeral. Hell is only the doctrine we teach in church. It's not the doctrine we believe at funerals. 
And is that not the issue? Isn't that, we, we, we are confronted with the reality of, isn't it weird? We're, only con, we're not confronted with the reality of hell at a funeral. We're confronted with the reality of hell when we learn about election. Why is that the only time we care about it? Because as soon as we hear election, what do we start thinking? Wait a minute. What if so-and-so is an elect? Well, I can't have them going to hell, so I've got to have a system so that I can get them to heaven. We don't care about hell any other time, do we? And, and I'm saying, obviously, there's exceptions. So you see why I'm pointing all of this out? Because I, I just, it blows my mind that everybody gets upset when you get to Romans 8. I just don't understand it. I, I just look at people like, you, you waited till now to get upset? Nothing else in the Bible bothered you until Romans 8. <laughs> Nothing else in the Bible bothered you. Like, you had no problem with God going in killing every man, woman, boy, girl, child. That was no problem. But Romans 8, oh no, I'm offended. I'm just like, I think there was plenty to be offended over way before I got to Romans 8. Would you all agree? I mean, there's some serious messed up things going on, right? That's why when you go to, I think it's called the Skeptics Bible, where they have all the Bible and then they put all of their notes underneath it like a study Bible. And it's like, what in the world is that? Like they'll ask these hard questions like, that's genocide. That's rape. That's, that's mass murder. What is that? And, and Christians are like, I don't see a problem. And I feel like I don't get it. There's some serious issues. Okay, so I just want to point that out because if, if I can do that, then that hopefully calms everyone down when we get to reprobation because now everyone's mad about everything else I've already said, right? Okay, I've already ticked everyone off. Now I can already hear people clicking off going, get away, get away, get away. No, 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 no. We don't ask those kinds of questions in, our, in my church. I understand, I understand. That's why we have four people here and other churches have 20,000, okay? Because I, would this sermon work in any other church? Oh, come on. I'd be fired. I would already have turned off the microphone and already started my car and packed up my stuff, okay? Because you can't say these kinds of things, right? And I, but I'm, I'm glad you guys let me say these things, even though you're thinking, man, he's, he's out of his mind, but at least you let me say them, okay? But they have to be said, Right now, so what is reprobation? Sovereign decision before creation, make sure we get that, before creation to pass over some persons and sorrow, deciding not to save them and punish them for their sins and thereby to manifest his justice. I don't know, I don't like the in sorrow part. I'm a little iffy about, but that's okay. We'll go with his, right? Everybody ready? In many ways, the doctrine of reprobation is the most difficult of all the teachings of Scripture for us to think about and to accept because it deals with such horrible and eternal consequences for human beings being made, uh, for human beings made in the image of God. So he says this is one of the most difficult to accept, horrible because it deals with such horrible and eternal consequences. What's the horrible and eternal consequences? Hell. Now, I will just say, let's just be honest. The doctrine of hell itself is hard to comprehend, yes? But what have we done? We don't talk about it. We don't think about it. 
and we have a get out of you know, hell free card whenever we need to play it because we just think we just say, nope, that person saved. Nope, that person saved. Nope, that was because let's be honest. I mean, come on, let's just get let's just get really, really down. Let's let's just be as as blunt as we can be. We don't really care if strangers go to hell. Well, come on, let's just be honest. We only care if someone we love goes to hell. Now, I'm saying, I know what you're saying. No, but I do care. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Do do you ever go to bed at night thinking about the people suffering in hell? You probably go to bed maybe worrying about, I don't know, whatever's going on in your life. You probably spend more time in a day worried about what's going on in your life than the fact that there's people right now burning in hell. That usually doesn't cross our mind. Now, I don't know how we, I've never been able to completely reconcile and understand it, but my my understanding of something does not determine something is true or false, right? My understanding of it doesn't. It's whether something is true or false. So I agree, this is a difficult teaching, but let me make it clear again. I've got to even say this to Grudem. The problem of difficulty is way before I get to reprobation. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. The most controversial and the most difficult verse to understand in the entire Bible is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That is the most complicated difficult passage of all the Bible. Because the minute I know that God created it knowing what was going to happen with the power to change it, I've got questions, and I'm not going to be given the answers. Right? Job had a lot of questions. And what was God's answer to Job? Where were you when I... And what was Job realize? I don't have an answer. There is no answer. Because God created the world knowing that a man named Job was going to live and he knew that he was going to set that person up to be punished and and to suffer, not to be punished, to suffer horribly at the hands of the very being that he created by the name of Satan. (laughs) And what what I love about the book of Job is Job is never given an explanation, ever. Remember, Job did not write the book of Job. So he was never given the explanation. The book of Job does not come around to Job's long gone. I love that. You say, why do you love it? Because that explains all of us. We don't understand so much of this and we're not given an explanation. The key is, is so, so if something is true, whether we like it or want to accept it or not. Again, the mo- what's, I, I know you think I'm crazy, but the most complicated, difficult, hard to understand verse of all the Bibles, Genesis 1.1. If I can figure, everyone's like, no, Genesis 1-1 is not complicated. Are you out of your mind? We could think about Genesis 1-1 24 hours a day from now until you die, and we still would never even be able to comprehend all of its implications. And the fact that you don't think Genesis 1-1 is complicated is probably a good sign that you've never actually studied the Bible, because I'm telling you. And isn't it weird? Does Genesis 1-1 ever cause much controversy? 
All right, so here we go. All right. The love that God gives us for our fellow human beings and the love that he commands us to have towards our neighbor causes us to recoil against this doctrine and it is right that we feel such dread in contemplating it. I like that. Because we have, if we have any concern for other people, we should have dread. We should not want to contemplate this. I don't want to contemplate this. I don't even want to think about it. But let me state it again. The dread should begin where? In Genesis 1.1. Right? It's like, if I'm reading the Bible, you know how you have those dramatized versions of the Bible? Right before Genesis 1.1 is read, there should be this dramatic, ominous music where you just know, wait, something's getting ready to happen that's not good. And what's getting ready to happen? God's going to create. And right there, it's like, ah! Like, scream! Right? That's like, and you're like, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. It's it's ridiculous the first time you read it because you don't know what's coming. But once you realize what is, once you realize what's coming, you know that that's the, I can't remember the name of the movie, famous movie. You watch the whole movie, and when you get to the end of the movie, you're completely like, I don't understand this, until you realize that you have to watch the movie in reverse to understand it. The whole movie is played backwards, and you have to watch it backwards for it to then to be forwards. If, does that make sense? Right? It's, not, it's not in the right order. And I never forget when I got to the end of that movie, I'm like, wait, wait, what? Wait, what? And then I was like, wait, this is backwards. The whole movie's backwards. This is brilliant, right? This is genius. Okay, well, when I read the Bible, as soon as I get close to the end, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Why? Why Genesis 1-1? Everybody gets to the end of the Bible and say, oh, it's a beautiful story. We win. It's wonderful. Do you realize how many people die and go to hell? Everybody's like, when you see preachers will always say this, I've read the end of the book and we win. And everybody's like, amen. And I'm like, do you do realize what happened at the end of Revelation, right? Do we need to go back to the end of Revelation? The books are opened. Those who are not found in the book, cast into where? The lake of fire. Does that make you feel wonderful? Now, remember, the God who creates knows that there's going to be people going into the lake of fire. There's no way to get around that unless you end up with what? God not knowing. Okay, And just make sure, you, you see now why some people are absolutely, will, will, will turn to open, theolo- or open uh, theism. I, I can understand it. Look, I, I think they're crazy and I reject their doctrine, but I understand their heart. Because you've got to try to figure out, man, what? This doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And, and, and it's hard to understand. So even Grudem acknowledges this is difficult. Right? So my thing is, why? Now again, I have to ask the question. Why is it when we read Revelation, we don't get bothered? When you read that when the books are open, people are going to be cast into hell, that doesn't bother you? 
And what should be your, what should be your question? Well, wait a minute. Why would God create a world knowing this is going to happen? See, that, that doesn't even... The doctrine of election doesn't even show up at this point, right? The doctrine of reprobation doesn't even show up. We're just dealing with the reality. I said this was going to be one part. Clearly, I wasn't... Yeah, you see what's already happened, right? This is going to have to be multiple parts. All right, here we go. Everybody ready? But are there scriptures... Okay, let me see. Um, we should uh, feel dread in contemplating it. It is something that we would not want to believe and would not believe unless Scripture clearly taught it. Now, I agree with that. We don't want to believe this. Look, I will argue there's a lot of things in the Bible. Again, it's weird. People have no problem. Isn't it this so weird? Like, okay, I just, just think about this, all right? I know this is getting more philosophical, but this is okay. All right, so... People have no problem accepting the doctrine of hell. But they cannot stomach the doctrine of election. Now, wait a minute. All right. So, election is a bridge too far. But a God who gives Bobby, quote-unquote, a free will, knowing Bobby will use that will to end up in eternity in hell, is good. Election, too far. But a God who says, here you go, it would be like, it would be like going, okay, you know, here, 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 Lincoln, here's a chainsaw. Now, I know you're going to chop your leg off, and I know you're probably going to end up killing your brother, but you know what? I want you to have it anyway. I want you to have it. Knowing exactly what's going to happen. You've already seen the ER report. You've already seen the police report, and you still go, here you go. And it's like, ah! and it's horrible. You're like, well, you know, wanted to give them that wonderful gift. Isn't it weird that election is like, no, cannot tolerate election. But I'm all for God giving millions and billions of people a will that they will exercise to go to hell. That I'm okay with. Do you see how utterly ridiculous we sound sometimes? It's like we don't even... And you know why, why we sound so ridiculous? Because, let's be honest, are, are, are other churches going to have this kind of conversation? No. And if you don't have this conversation, you never do what? You don't think about it. So, the issue is, there's lots of things in the Bible that are horrific to think about. The issue is, do scriptures teach it? I just want... I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. Why have you spent so much time? I want you to see that reprobation is far, is a million miles away from some of the most difficult things in the Bible. Right? Election is not even close to one of the most difficult things in the Bible. I'm still trying to understand why God started creation in the first place. Right? I'm still trying to figure out Genesis 1.1. Okay, here, here we go. All right. So far, so good. But there, but are there scriptures? Now he's going to ask this as a question. All right, let's see. Let's see if you can answer this. But are there scripture passages that speak of such a decision by God? Certainly, there are some. Jude speaks of some persons who long ago were designated for this condemnation: ungodly persons who pervert the grace of our God and and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Jude, look at Jude 4 and see if, uh, if everybody sees this. 
Look at Jude, verse 4. And, you, and, and just be honest. If you don't see it, that's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay. Does everybody see Jude 4? What do we have here? Well, what, what jumps out at you in the text? You're reading it. Bef- okay. Before of old, ordained unto this condemnation. Before of old, ordained to this condemnation. Does everybody see that? What is the e- how does the ESV uh, translate it, uh, Seth? So, people have crept in who long ago was what? Designated for this condemnation. I'm not saying it's the, 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 the verse that proves everything, but I'm saying it's a verse that once again demonstrates that's, that something beforehand is determining what will happen, right? Agreed? Okay. May not be perfect, but okay. Moreover, here we go. Paul... In the passage referred to above and, and some other places uh, here in the book, speaks in the same way. Look at uh, Romans chapter 9 here. And I know we could have waited till Romans 9, but that's okay. I thought it was perfect to just do this here because uh, everyone puts this together with election. All right? Romans chapter 9. All right, let's go to verse 14. All right, in fact, let's back up a little bit. All right? Let's go uh, Romans chapter 9. We're, we're probably, we're, I should have labeled this part 1. Now, obviously, clearly, we're not going to even get past this. All right, here we go. We go let's go to Romans 9. Uh, let's go to 7. Everybody ready? Romans 9, 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, that they which are the children of the flesh... These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our uh, father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. I'm like, how many different ways can that verse emphasize? What is that verse trying to emphasize? What's get, what I'm getting ready to say is not based off what? Anything they did, but based off what? God's purpose, God's election. Does everybody see that? And then what does he say? Verse 12, it, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger as it is written. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And it, that God hates and loves one, is it based off anything they do? No. What's it based off of? His election. What, how do people usually try to get around that? No, no, God, God knew what they were going to do. God knew what they were going to do. But when we go read about the two individuals, Jacob and Esau, who really looks like a real jerk throughout the story? 
Jacob. So if it's based off what they do, that still doesn't explain it, does it? No way, no how. It even complicates it more because you're like, why Jacob? Of all the people, Jacob was not a great guy. And but and verse 11 says it's not of works, right? Before they, so it's not based on anything they're going to do. No, okay, so, yeah, it's based on those, who, the, the one who calls. Now, okay, now, verse 14, what should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Now, why would he say in verse 14, is there, un, uh, what should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Why is he bringing that up? Because he knows any, anyone who reads that is going to say what? That's not fair. And anyone who knows Genesis is going to even double down and say, that's really not fair. God's not righteous. So the fact that he anticipates the reaction tells you how you should read the previous verses. You should not read, everyone reads the previous verses. I've been in churches who teach it this way. No, it's just God knew what they were going to do. If that's how I'm supposed to read it, then Paul wouldn't be anticipating that kind of reaction. He would say, hey, if you think that way, you read it wrong. No, he doesn't say you read it wrong. He says there's no unrighteousness in God. And then what does he go on? He doubles down, does he not? For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy in whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So it's not based off what? It's not based on her far will. That, does anybody like that? Well, it depends on how you view it, right? I believe because of our total depravity that if, it, if, it's all, if it's based off our will, all of us would end up in hell. So there's one way of looking at it, like I'm glad it's not based off my will because if I got my will, I would not have anything to do with God. Okay, does that make sense? All right, now here we go. Verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Does that verse not bother you like all day long? God created Pharaoh for what purpose? That God's name would be lifted up. He created Pharaoh for, God created Pharaoh for his purpose and his glory. He didn't create Pharaoh for, Pharaoh for Pharaoh's life. He created Pharaoh so that in Pharaoh he could be used, that God's name would be exalted. Now, as a skeptics and atheists see that and say, that's the most egotistical, narcissistic thing I've ever imagined, right? That God would create Pharaoh so that God would look good. Do you like it? I don't like it. I mean, Pharaoh, we, 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 I know we, we cast Pharaoh as the villain of the story, but let's make it very clear that He's still a human being who was created by God so that God could use him for his glory. 
wow, that's, that's hard to, to is, that, is that difficult for you to wrap your mind around? Okay, Let, let's read the next verse. What happens in the next verse? Therefore hath he, uh, have, therefore hath he mercy in whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. Now, wait a minute. Now, now this is getting even more complicated. It's one thing for, for God to have, say, well, he can have mercy in whomever he wants to have mercy. But now it's a contrast between God showing mercy to one and hardening another. That's, I don't like that. Do you like that? Oh, it's, it's going to get worse. What does it say next? Thou will say unto me, why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? In other words, someone's going to say, well then, if God, if God's the one hardening, if God's the one having mercy, then how can anyone be blamed? Right? How can you be blamed if God's the one doing it? Now, the reason Paul's asking that, raising the question is he knows that's how anyone reading this is going to respond. Well, wait a minute. God can't blame anyone. If God's doing all of this, no one's at fault. It's God. And what is, how does he respond? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Who are you to say, God, why did you make me this way? Can Pharaoh say, God, why did you make me this way? No, because God can make us any way he wants for any purpose he wants because we are the creature and he is the creator. We are the creation, he is the creator. Now you see why I said Genesis 1-1 becomes the problem? Because this goes back to creation. Why would God create a world knowing it's going to be filled with death, pain, suffering, and violence, and that people are going to die and go to hell? What would be the answer? According to Romans. Well, why why did he create Pharaoh? What does it say in Romans 9? Why did he create Pharaoh? the, the, The exact words in the text? No, before that. Before that. It says that in Pharaoh... To show his power and that his name would be declared. So why did God create everything? To show his power and for his name to be magnified and his name to be glorified. So why did God create everything? For him. There's the answer. Does that answer satisfy you? No. Ultimately... When God set up the situation with Job, you think around about it was more about God than it was about Job. You can say, well, no, it was to prove Job. No, it was more about God, right? That everything is about God. Now, we're going to have to stop right there. We didn't get very far. But I at least, I at least set everything up for you to see the problem here. Now, I, some, of, some people, I've already had emails going, so do you believe in double predestination? What do you believe about reprobation? Look, Whatever conclusion we come to about reprobation or quote-unquote double predestination, 
All of that, I just want you to realize, those problems exist no matter what you say about reprobation or double predestination. These problems start way back in Genesis, right? God created knowing exactly what was going to happen and even had the power to change it or stop it, yet he did not, which demonstrates that somehow it has to ultimately be for his purpose. And I don't like it, but it's the way it is. That all precedes this, this subject, all right? I just don't think we can go, if we just go into this subject like, okay, forget everything, reprobation, then immediately people are like, oh, horrible. I'm trying to show you that the, the, all the horrible problems start way earlier, so that when we get to reprobation, then we, we don't have the emotional reaction, and then we can go, okay, so is this doctrinal, or is this scriptural, and then we can have a more, honest look at it. We got to get, we got to get past all of the horrific stuff before we get to it. Does that make sense? Uh, There's a logic to why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm trying to make you feel all of the problems so that when you get to reprobation, you're like, this is the least of my problems. All right. Okay. I want you, I want you to go, well, that, I'm not really worried about reprobation. I got other issues here, okay? I know, that maybe that's not the way I should do it, but it's the only way I know because as soon as someone hears the word election or reprobation, they lose their mind. They'll, they're like, get away from that church. Well, I'm like, well, you're going to go to that church and they're preaching on Genesis today. Don't you see the problem? Nope, don't see a problem. Okay, well, you clearly can read Genesis in a way that I can't. Because, man, I'm telling you, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the most complicated verse I've ever read. That's of all the books I've ever read. And I've read uh, who knows how many books. That is, uh, that, that is frightening. That's frightening. All right. Any questions? Any questions? Does everybody kind of understand? This is what we say. I don't understand it. But I understand that this is the problems the scripture would bring to us if we're honest with it, right? That's what you have. We have to just acknowledge it, okay? Because what, what, I know what you, you want to defend it or you want to explain it away, or you, but you can't. You just have to go, these are the problems. Look, Christians have been trying to explain this stuff away forever, and all of their attempts are garbage. You can't. So when people say, well, what do you do when people attack the Bible that way? I'm like, I agree with you. It's, it's a problem. The issue is, is it true? I don't judge it based on whether I like it. You don't go into a doctor's office and like, you've got cancer. I don't like it. It's not real. That doesn't work, does it? Okay, I go to the scriptures. I don't like it. But if it's it's God's word, my job is not to... Did Job get to say, well, God, I don't like this situation. It didn't matter if he liked it. Didn't matter if he wanted it changed. Didn't matter if he wanted to understand it. What was he given? I'm God, you're not. Deal with it. Now, I know that that's not comforting. What else can I say? It's not comforting. Okay? The, the, Job wasn't comforted. And that blows our mind because we're like, no, God is here to comfort me. God is here to make me feel better. Okay, well, it doesn't always work that way, does it? Are there, is there comfort found? Yeah, you know what the comfort is? That God sent his son and that anyone who believes in him can be saved and have eternity. Doesn't mean everything else is going to make sense or be comforting. Okay, all right. Let's stop and pray. Lord God, we come before you.
I don't even know how, what to even say in, in light of a doctrine like this and trying to understand this other than all we can say is that you're God, we are not. And we, all we can do is bow and humble ourselves before you and say that no, and just hopefully commit ourselves that no matter how hard this doctrine may be to look at, no matter how many difficult subjects it brings up, that we're willing to face the difficulty and not simply explain them away or throw a cliche on top of it, but embrace the difficulty and hopefully be so humbled by it that we see that it's about you, it's not about us, and hopefully that will benefit us greatly and moving forward in our spiritual lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,